Hi, I'm Romil. And this is Tracy, and you're listening to Experiment Nation, the podcast. On this show, we interview experimenters from around the world. We share their stories, their lessons, and advice with you, our listeners. You're listening to Experiment Nation, the podcast. You're listening to Experiment Nation, the podcast. Go all over the place, man. In the news, uh, it's time for the lightning round. Why am I recording this for you? What the? Pardon me? <laughs> yeah, I'll figure that out in post. Okay. okay. Hello, Experiment Nation. Today, we have a very special guest on our podcast. Our guest is a self-described e-commerce geek with over 1,500 A-B tests under their belt. They're the founder of Dexter Agency, a conversion optimization agency, and the author of Kill Your Conversion Killers, one of my personal favorite CRO books. No, really, my wall is actually covered in notes taken from their book because it was that instrumental to my CRO education. Today, they'll be sharing their wealth of knowledge on building a CRO agency for our listeners who may have caught the entrepreneurial bug and want to build a CRO practice of their own. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Yoris Bryan. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Hi, Yoris. I am great. How are you? Yeah, great. Great to hear that uh, your wall is plastered with the notes from my book. I should send you a picture. Then you can hang a picture of me next to them. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. That'd be... Hilarious. I have no idea how I would explain that to my partner, but that's okay. <laughs> how are you these days? Yeah, pretty good, pretty busy, but that's that's good, isn't it? Sure is. Now, uh, I know quite a bit about you already, just having read your book and familiarizing myself with your work, but could you tell uh, our listeners a bit about yourself and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's it's been kind of a long journey. Um, I'm originally from Belgium. I lived there for a, a long time as well, and I moved around as well in Malta, Portugal. I'm in Spain right now. But on a professional level, um, I started my career about 20 years ago in, in uh, classical advertising and, and worked in a bunch of uh, advertising agencies. Uh, but I kind of got fed up with the um, typical discussions that you have in agencies, uh, advertising agencies, like I make this red, make this blue, put this on the right, put this on the left, all that kind of crap. And <laughs> it doesn't lead anywhere <laughs> and endless discussions. Um, and so I kind of, yeah, got bored of it. I started a business and that failed. And then I uh, discovered digital marketing. And what I loved about digital marketing was that it's so um, data driven. And I started like many people who uh, discovered digital marketing. I started with SEO and PPC, that kind of stuff. And then um, one day I went to a conference uh, where I saw Pep Laya speak and um, conversion optimization. For me, it was like, yeah, I immediately fell in love with it because it, it combined uh, the data-driven aspect I liked from digital marketing, but um, also all the um, psychology, uh, copywriting, design stuff that I knew from my classical advertising uh, uh, background. So um, those all of, the, all of those things kind of came together and then clicked. And all those endless discussions I used to have in agencies are solved now by saying, like, hey, Let's test this. Uh, so um, it, it, yeah, for me, it all came together at that moment. And um, I, um, I started studying and reading books and, and really trying to learn everything there was about conversion optimization. And um, yeah, at, at some point, I, I was ready to put this into practice. But the agency I was working in, uh, they, they didn't have any clients um, uh, for, for CRO at the time. And uh, so I ventured out on my own, started as a freelancer, and that grew into an agency, and the rest is history, I'd say. 
Love it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty relatable experience. It sounds like a lot of optimizers just kind of, you know, they try a lot of different things and then they just fall into CRO and just love it and never go back. So that's that's really great, great to hear. Um, before we dive in, I'd love for our listeners to get a sense of uh, your optimization philosophy. Uh, when I read your book, it was pretty new to me as a whole. Uh, so beyond the technical stuff, there were a few things that really stuck mm-hmm. out to me as I read your book. Um, the first being how to spot the fake optimizers from the real deals. Can you share with some of our beginner level listeners how you spot a real optimizer and kind of the signs that tell you someone is maybe mm, not like the real deal in the space? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the problem with CRO is it, it's still a pretty new field and a lot of people um, don't really understand it. So uh, as, a, as a company, if you have to hire a CRO, it's very hard to assess whether it's a real a CRO or uh, if it's just a wannabe who eh, just makes a couple of statements. And I think one of the most important things to understand when you talk to someone is what what is their process? How, how are they going to do this? Are they just going to be um, mentioning things that you have to change and, and that's it? Um, or are they going to follow a rigorous process with a lot of uh, research and then uh, formulating hypotheses and then testing that? I think that's the main question that you need to ask if you want to uh, understand if it's really an expert or uh, yeah a newbie or or uh, a fake CRO is really what's the process that you're going to follow, and whenever someone um, also makes like unnuanced statements uh, and says like uh, yeah you should always do this or you should always do that that's also a, f- a red flag to me. Um, usually, um, real CROs are pretty nuanced uh, and and will always be careful with making absolute statements because they know that what works. Uh, on one side may not work on another side. So I, I think those are two really good uh, ways to discern uh, the real zeros from the fake ones, is right, really understand what their process is. And second one is, are they very nuanced and careful about uh, making uh, absolute statements? For sure. And that kind of actually brings me to uh, another thing that I wanted to get your your stance on, which is Best practices. <laughs> I it is such a bad word yeah. to me now after reading your book. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about that a bit. Sure, and it, it's it's a constant battle because um, a lot of clients come to me and they say like, "Hey, yeah, what's the best practice on this?" And I kind of cringe when I hear the word best practice because it's so it it has. <sighs> so many expectations attached to it. So people uh, think if I do this, this is the best thing I can do because it's called a best practice after all. So I I try to say like, hey, this is not a best practice. It's a common uh, practice or a prototypical, prototypical principle, which kind of takes that expectation away that it's always the best solution to a certain situation. Because um, we've seen um, many, many instances where we B-tested uh, a so-called best practice and it it actually hurt the conversion. So, it best practices are good if you have nothing else to go off. If you if you're just starting out and you're building a, a new business from scratch and you're building a site from scratch, sure. I mean, use best practices. You have to start somewhere. But um, if you try to optimize something, don't take something for granted and say like, hey, this is a best practice. It's definitely going to work. So, um, call it common practice. Uh, that is. It has less expectations attached to it. I think that's a better word or prototypical principle. I like that. Common practices. I'm going to use that <laughs> in my day-to-day. 
Now, lastly, this is the one that I really am excited for you to kind of speak to. This is something that I'm constantly facing and dealing with as an optimizer every single day. It's the whole problem with radical redesign. Yeah. Just wanting to kind of wipe the slate clean and just redesign everything you have. But like I've learned the hard way, that could be really dangerous to your bottom line. So could you talk to our listeners a bit about kind of like the benefit of doing an evolutionary redesign instead of um, what we would kind of call a radical redesign? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's uh, something I see going wrong uh, a, a lot of the times is when people do a radical redesign, they spend a lot of time and energy resources uh, to, to really making that new site and then it goes live and it tanks it happens all mm -hmm. the time and the thing is because people spend so much time and energy and resources to it they feel they're entitled to a higher conversion rate unfortunately that's not how it works uh, it's not because you spend all that time energy and resources on it that you will definitely get a better result so um it, it, it's usually a lot better to try and understand where you have issues on your site and then try and solve them with A-B testing. So that's an evolutionary redesign where you tackle one problem at a time and try to try to understand what's working best and then only implement those things that are going to make you more money. Um, that's basically what Amazon has always done. Um, and it, 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 they only implement stuff uh, that that is sure to make them more money. And it, that's something that all bigger retailers and, and, and uh, e-commerce brands and uh, sites understand right now that an evolutionary redesign is, is the best way forward. And I think the, the best analogy to compare it with, so you have a couple of problems on your, uh, on your site and let's say those problems are flies. Now what you do with a radical redesign is you bomb the shit out of those flies. You send a B-52 <laughs> and you bomb the shit out of them. So what happens, those flies are going to be killed, sure, but you're going to have a lot of collateral damage and it's going to cost you a lot of money. Um, whereas uh, it's better to just hire a sharp shooter and try and uh, shoot those flies with well-aimed shots. And you might miss once, but so that's a failed A-B test, but then second time you'll hit uh, the target and, uh, and and you'll you'll kill the fly and that's that's how you have to think about it. It's uh, it's way more precise and you're sure to only uh, kill those conversion killers that you have in the site and not a lot of good things that are going on in your site because that's a problem with radical reads and you you destroy a lot of things that actually work well for you but you don't even understand that it's working well for you. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Now, I guess the big question for me is. When would you ever radically redesign? Is there a time to do so? There's a, a couple of instances. If, you, if let's say you have a very outdated technology or something like that, you might consider that. Um, or uh, sometimes a radical redesign might be needed if you hit what they call local maximum. Local maximum is is the idea that you kind of hit a wall with optimizing. There's the, you you test and you test and you test and, and you don't find any winners anymore. You don't make any progress anymore. That's a theory. Um, however, lately I've been thinking like local maximum. I, I've been doing zero for six years now. I've never encountered it. Uh, so I'm starting to think like maybe this is some kind of urban legend, <laughs> local maximum. <laughs> so, but in theory, yes, there might be a point where you, you test and test and test and test and you don't find any winners anymore. But be careful about that because um, when you run an A-B testing program, it's inevitable you're going to have periods where 
maybe you run five tests, six tests, and 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 yeah, you don't find a winner. Don't call local maximum yet. Um, just revise what you've been doing. Look at your data. Uh, try to understand why you haven't found any winners uh, lately. And uh, I'm, I'm, we've been through phases like that with some of our clients as well. Um, but then we just try to take a step back, and 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 we just find the momentum again and find new winners. So. Um, just be very careful about the, the whole notion of, of local maximum. Don't don't call it uh, too soon. Great. Now, I'd like to kind of switch gears a little bit. Now, this is kind of another uh, tidbit related to your CRO philosophy. And it was actually in the news quite recently. So in the news. I noticed in the news an article. It was quite interesting on why you shouldn't care about conversion rate. This was by the Drum Network. So pretty much the whole thesis of this article is if you focus too much on the actual conversion rate, you're kind of doing yourself and the org you're, you're working with a disservice because you're not focusing on things like revenue. Um, and I had actually heard you uh, kind of say something similar on a podcast. I believe you said... Uh, you referred to CRO as a shitty term. And I totally agree with you. I kind of got that that perspective coming out of your book, but I'd love for you to kind of uh, expand a bit on that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that article. Um, CRO, I mean, I guess it's, it's here to stay. Um, we're in digital marketing. For some reason, we like three-letter acronyms. So we say SEO, PPC, that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe someone thought it was good to coin a, a three-letter word as well for what we do, uh, and it was conversion rate optimization. Now, I, for starters, when I use that terminology, I'll say conversion optimization, so I'll drop the rate. <laughs> that already mm-hmm. kind of makes it less, I don't know, um, focus on the conversion rate. Um, I, I, I prefer to see CRO as continuous revenue optimization. It's not an ideal Mm -hmm. term either, I guess, but it's closer to what we do because conversion rate at the end of the day uh, is not your main metric. It's an indication uh, and it helps you understand some some aspects of what's going on on your site, but it creates a little bit the wrong expectations uh, because the conversion rate is not why you're in business. You're in business to uh, increase your revenue and your profit. Mm -hmm. And you can increase your conversion rate by cutting your prices in half, but you will not make more profit and your revenue may not go up or not enough. Uh, So it it really is all about profit and and revenue. I I remember um, a client uh, of ours and and we, uh, we were testing on the card page uh, we tested an upsell in uh, in the in the card page uh, and the client had pretty low margins in general and we just added a very tiny upsell in uh, in the card um, it lowered the conversion rate um, the revenue was more or less uh, equal it went up a little bit but there was uh, the margins were a lot more interesting because that um, upsell was very high margin for them even though it was pretty low dollar amount it was pretty high uh, profit for them. Uh, and and so, it, I mean, yes, the conversion rate is lower. If we would say like, yeah, we, we are conversion rate optimization uh, experts. So your conversion rate went down, so we're not going to do it. That would be stupid because we were making more money for the client because the profit was higher. So um, it, 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 you just have to see conversion rate as one 
KPI, but it's not the final or the most important KPI. You have to understand what you're doing because sometimes, um, sometimes it, it can even lower your conversion rate. So you do conversion rate optimization. Just try to bear with me because uh, I, I know it's <laughs> counterintuitive, but um, you can you can do conversion rate optimization, make a, a much better converting site. And what happens is that uh, maybe you were running some campaigns that were not profitable. Uh, before you had to shut them down, but your site is now converting a lot better and you can open those up again. Yet they may co be converting lower than their average traffic, but still profitable. And as long as it's profitable and it's making you more money, it makes sense to uh, to, to keep running those campaigns. Um, and yes, <laughs> your conversion rate because of those campaigns may go down a little bit again. So it's it, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's all about, about your revenue. Um, so... It, there's many ways to 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 look at this, uh, but uh, just don't get too focused on on the conversion rate. At the end of the day, uh, you're running a business, and all that matters is revenue and profit. That's a really interesting take. I mean, that makes total sense from a revenue perspective. But I guess the further up the funnel you get, is conversion rate the only metric you should be looking at? Yeah, I, I I'd, I'd look at revenue. Uh, that's the, the the most important one, I'd say, and uh, and profit, because those two you're running a business, and those those two are the are the, the main ones. Uh, and of of course, you can look at conversion rate um, for certain parts of the funnel, or uh, I, I don't, to, to get a better understanding, uh, relatively speaking, um, where you have a problem on certain pages compared to other pages. So it 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 helps to understand and get a better picture there. Um, but don't get too hung up on that. Great. All right. Now, I would like to shift gears yet again. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm sure we have some listeners out there who are like, I really like CRO or conversion optimization, continuous revenue optimization, whatever we want to call it but they're maybe not necessarily looking for the nine to five experience or they want to move away from it. And I know that you had been in that position yourself. You built your own practice. How did you know that starting an agency was the right move for you? Yeah, for me, it was basically, I, I, I got to a crossroads where um, either I had to start saying no to new clients coming in, or I had to build an agency. Uh, so I was freelancing and I had too much work. So I had to make a choice and uh, either go for uh, an agency or say no to clients. And I, uh, that's my personality. I have a hard time saying no. So <laughs> I built an agency basically. <laughs> it was as simple as that, the decision, yeah. Great, so it seemed pretty clear cut to you. Yeah, absolutely. Although when I started out, it was never the intention to uh, to build an agency. I was like, yeah, I'm fine freelancing. I I, I love this uh, this field, and and let's just do this, and uh, we'll <laughs> see where it leads us. So I I didn't have the intention to build an agency, but it just happened. I love it. So okay, you've decided that you want to build a CRO agency. Now what? Where do you start? What do you do? What's first? Yeah. So I. I think first thing is pick a niche. Um, I, I strongly believe in picking a niche, uh, well, niche or some expertise within uh, conversion optimization. We're focused on e-commerce. Is that a niche? I don't know, but it's a specialty within conversion optimization. Because um, like optimizing for um, 
for e-commerce is totally different than for lead generation or for uh, SaaS, for instance. Um, you could even say like, hey, we do conversion optimization for uh, marketing technology tools, whatever. I mean, there's there's a whole there's there's so many businesses out there that could benefit from uh, uh, from conversion optimization that I think it's easier to set you apart as uh, specialized in in a certain in a niche. I know there's uh, a conversion optimization. I don't know if it's a if it's if it's an agency or just a freelancer, but um, he's focused entirely on uh, on supplements that's his niche hmm. so there's there's enough uh there's enough businesses out there uh, and i think it there, but there's a, more and more agencies out there so if you be if you're a generalist within conversion optimization then um it, i think it's harder to get started i think it's easier uh, to pick up your first clients when uh, when you focus somehow and then the second thing you need to do is find that first client, obviously. But that's if you if you pick a niche like let's say supplements, uh, and then you say like, hey, I'm I'm a conversion optimization uh, freelancer specialized in supplements. Uh, then they're gonna listen. They're gonna want to listen because you know their uh, business um, or or the field they're in. And then just offer to do some free work first. If you don't have any track rec- record yet, then just offer to do some free work and ask for a testimonial um, so that you can use that and, and build from there and maybe some referrals uh, from, from that first gig as well. Um, just start doing the work uh, and that's going to be the, the best way forward. That's also how I started. I just picked up a couple of clients and, and, and worked for free and uh, got some uh, testimonials and referrals and uh, got the ball rolling. And I think that's the best way uh, to do this. Great. That's good advice. Do you find that it's kind of easier to gain new clients after you've already kind of got a few under your belt? Is it kind of like a snowball effect or is it still just always very much an uphill battle to get clients? I mean, it's it's not easy to sell CRO, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> it's because a lot of clients don't... Um, don't grasp it because there's so much to it and i think it's easy it's a quick fix uh and then you you tell them it's actually a lot of work so um it's it's not easy but it's it's going to be easier if at least you have some references and can uh, show them uh, some of the work that you've done for sure now if you could go back in time and start dexter your agency all over again is there anything that you would do differently oh yeah uh, I, I think the, the, the main uh, mistake I made is uh, pretty soon, um, pretty much in the beginning of the agency, I, I um, onboarded a business partner. Um, like many business partnerships, uh, that went awfully wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And it jeopardized the business at some point. And I think now looking in, in hindsight, um, what I've learned is is if if you team up with a business partner, um, there's, a, there's a pretty big chance it's it's not going to work out. There's plenty of stories uh, out there. And just think like, okay, am I working with this business partner or do I want to work with this business partner because, because he or she has some skill sets that I don't have? If that's the case, can I actually hire someone with those skills? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a better decision. Um, or is it, is it someone with a certain experience or expertise uh, that um, that could be beneficial so that I can learn from that business partner? Well, ask yourself, is there a coach that I can hire? Or can I uh, join some kind of mastermind where I can learn the same stuff? Um, because it's very, very tricky uh, working with mm-hmm. a business partner. And there are some very good business partnerships out there. There's people that really make it work. Um, but when it goes wrong, it's uh, it can be the end of your business. So uh, be very careful about that. 
I am so intrigued about this <laughs> backstory, but you know what? I have heard this <laughs> advice. Like anytime I talk to entrepreneurs, like what would you do differently? It's always like, get the right business partner. You do not want to pick the wrong one. So Right. Or or yeah. no business partner at all and just hire uh, or, or find a coach. Yeah. For sure. Now, we know kind of what happens if you pick the wrong business partner, but how can you get a sense of if a client will be a good fit for your agency and vice versa? Yeah, I think um, first thing for me is really um, see where they're at as a business. Are they um, have they have they already reached a certain uh, patience and maturity? Um, because CRO requires patience and a commitment for the long term. If if they're still in like startup mode. It's probably not going to be a good fit because they want to. They want results fast. They want to double the uh, conversion rate overnight, uh, and that's. It's not fair to them if you start working for them because you're not going to be able to deliver that. But it's not fair to you either because it's going to put so much pressure on you. So for me, that's first thing, like to know if this if they're going to be a good fit or not. Um, second thing for me is actually my gut feeling, um, and I know. We should all be data driven, but um, and I'm very data driven. But <laughs> I've I've learned to see my gut as of some sort of data source, a qualitative data source, and I've I I, I try to not ignore my gut feeling, um, and it's hard because you're. Uh, you're a thinking creature, so you try to think those feelings away. Um, but if something in your gut tells you it's not going to be a good match, listen to that, because usually your gut is right. Um, and for me, what it comes down to is is respect. Uh, I think it's super important that people have respect uh, for you, and it it, it 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 shows in a way they communicate. And I always ask myself, myself like, so when I have that gut feeling, then I think like, okay, would I enjoy working with this person myself if if I were working on a project? Because usually it's team members that work on a project. If I wouldn't want to work with that person myself, then I, I say no, because I don't want to do that to my team. So that's, for me, that's a no-go. If I'm like, no, this is going to be trouble with this person and it's not going to be respectful, then uh, I, I say no. Um, and a third thing for me is uh, they have to, recognize that you're the expert and they have to be willing to follow your way of working, your process, um, your advice, and not try to impose their way of working. I mean, obviously they have a way of working like weekly sprints or I'm not talking about that, but uh, I've had a situation, for instance, with uh, with a lead who, who basically told me what he wanted me to do. And I was like, no, it's not going to work if we're going to do it this way. Um, and he, he kept pushing and insisting. And then I said, sorry, but this is not going to work out. So um, you're the expert. And um, if why are they paying uh, you if, if they're not willing to fill, follow your advice? So uh, there are some clients out there who, who uh, always want to have the final say in how you're going to do this. Uh, it's not going to work out if, if you take it on a client like that. Gotcha. Yeah, you said a few pretty interesting things there. The first being on, you know, trusting your gut. I think that's it's pretty counterintuitive in in our space. Just you always constantly have to be looking at the numbers. And um, I thought that was a really interesting take. And I'm sure you also get a lot of clients or prospective clients who expect you to, like you said, double your double their conversion rate. Do you ever find that you have to kind of set their expectation that, you know, you may not see a big win right out the gate, but what's important is that 
you're learning as you go? Do you find that you have to kind of have that conversation up front at all? Oh yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Uh, absolutely, because uh, most of the clients uh, who've never done CRO, they have. T- totally wrong expectations because they read one case study that said that with this particular test they saw 513% uplift in conversion, that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come to you and I think you're going to get them the same results. Um, let's be honest, it's very, very unlikely that's going to happen. So I try to um, set those expectations right from the beginning and it all starts with asking for their expectations, really trying to understand what they're trying to accomplish. And if they say, yeah, I want to triple my conversion rate in the next three months, then I'm going to downplay that a lot. I'm going <laughs> to just say that like, it's not going to happen. Um, and it's better to say no to a client who insists uh, on that kind of results than taking them on. And um, you, you'll not be able to to deliver on that unless they have a really crappy site, uh, but you're not going to be able to deliver. They're going to be mad at the end of the day and disappointed, and it's going to be bad for them. It's going to be bad for your reputation as well, and it's better not to take them on if they have the wrong expectations. Great. Now, I guess the big question is, and I feel like you may have answered this already, have you ever had to turn down a client? Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. Um, so. There was a one client that tried to impose his way of working on. Uh, mm-hmm. He told me basically how I should do CRO. So I was like, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, I turned down clients that were uh, too impatient, um, mm-hmm. that I knew that this is not going to work out. Um, and also, I've turned a, yeah, down a couple of clients that were actually better off investing in something else before they started uh, um, investing in, in conversion optimization. And um, a couple of times, even where they were really enthusiastic and saying, like, hey, yeah, yeah, we really want to do this. Uh, and and I just had to tell them, like, look, I, I would be doing you a disservice um, if, if I onboarded you. Uh, mm-hmm. You're better off investing first in this or that or uh, just pointing them in the right direction first and uh, not taking their business because I could. But uh, I, I just don't want to do that. Um, it, it has to be fair and you have to. Uh, be honest and transparent and, and also there have there's so many clients that have been burned by an agency before um, that I feel like mm-hmm. we we all have a collective responsibility of of doing a good job because agencies have a bad name uh, because mm-hmm. most of the people have been burned before uh, by an agency that was promising rainbows and didn't deliver so um, gotta just be honest if you know that they're it's it's not for them at this point of of their uh, evolution as a company and you have to say that don't take them on because you can. For sure. Speaking as someone who has been burned by an agency a few times, (laughs) I get it. I get it. But um, yeah, I mean, you had kind of said something interesting there about, you know, you turned down a client because you recommended that they invest elsewhere before focusing on conversion optimization. Would that be kind of like investing in getting traffic to the site? Like what, what would you kind of define as an investment uh, that's yeah. appropriate before pursuing CRO? Yeah, that's a good question. And it, it, it was, in their case, it was really uh, traffic. Um, although it doesn't hurt to start doing some form of conversion optimization early on. But um, sometimes I get approached by companies that are in a very early stage. They don't have much traffic uh, and they kind of hope that conversion uh, optimization is going to it's going to, I don't know, solve their problem. Um, And then usually Mm -hmm. I I tell them like, hey, you 
you need more traffic and need a better insight in your uh, in your customers first or well we could do that obviously but usually they don't have that big of budgets at that point or um you need to i don't know work on a product first because obviously people don't want to buy it. some stuff like that i mean it's it, that could that could be the case because <laughs> you could you could be you could be trying to sell you, you could sell something that people don't want to buy so that could be a problem as well so um you just got to be honest and 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 uh, yeah but usually they need a lot more traffic that's the most common situation uh, where i have to turn in now I'm just laughing because that's that's got to be such a hard conversation to have. Like, I'm sorry, client, your website, I can't work with it. <laughs> kind of your product can't work with it. Nope. <laughs> but I'm sure there are plenty of tough conversations to be had when you're you're running your own practice. Yeah, you just got to be. Try. I, I always try to be uh, respectful and 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 careful and diplomatic and and understand that, um, especially when when someone's just starting out with their business, it's their baby. Um, so mm -hmm. you got to be careful about that as well. For sure. Okay, so let's say you've won the client. Yay! Congratulations, everyone's celebrating. What do you do to successfully onboard them and start optimizing? Uh, I I like the fact that you point out the little celebration. I think that's something. It, it's <laughs> not, no, no, it's 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 important, and it's um, really something that I've been doing only um, this year. I, I think I started doing this is, is um, celebrating your little victories uh, because as an entrepreneur, there's you always wanna there's always more. Uh, you always wanna look ahead to the next step. So you onboard a new client. And you're already looking to the for the next one and the next phase of your company or whatever. But be happy about that because people trust you with their money, and uh, and that's that. It's an honor. So, what <laughs> we well we try to celebrate it, even if it's like just having a glass of wine. Uh, it's <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but so celebrate uh, first. Uh, that, I think that's important. But then the, the onboarding with the clients. So uh, we do a kickoff call with our clients and we really try to understand their business. We already do that in the, in the uh, conversations leading um, uh, to that moment, but leading up to that moment. But we in the kickoff call, we really try to dig deep and, and understand their business, the way they work, uh, their customer persona, their brand, uh, all of their marketing, um, so that we really get a, a good picture of um, of, of what they're doing and who, who they are. Um, and then we, we just immediately get started. And, and our first month is completely focused on, on doing research. Um, and then after our first month, we present the research um, to the client and with the first A-B test uh, that we want to run. And then we basically, we set up uh, A-B test on, on a monthly basis. Uh, we just keep uh, setting up A-B test. That's, that's the process. Nice. I got to be honest, all I, that, 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 stuck with me there was wine win equals <laughs> wine and that's, that's a good probably, one <laughs> that's gonna be the next answer to the next question that i have for you which is what's the secret to making and keeping a client happy throughout your engagement with them let them drink a lot of wine that's the answer that you expect, wine. right <laughs> wine that's gonna be the answer to every question going forward <laughs> uh yeah now i mean i think first of all results are not important uh, I mean, yes, they are important, uh, but I shouldn't even be mentioning this. Without results, it's not going to work out anyway. So you have to mm -hmm. get them the results. That's that's for sure. Uh, but there are many agencies that can get clients' results. Uh, I think one of the main things um, in uh, when you work with a client is communication. 
and that's also I've I've worked at many agencies over the years, and um, th this is the area where many agencies fail. Uh, they do great work, but they kind of don't keep their clients in the loop, and uh, they're working, 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 and the client doesn't know uh, if they're actually doing something. Uh, and if they don't hear from uh, the agency, they think they're doing nothing, whereas they may be doing uh, a lot of good work in the background. So be very transparent and, and uh, do what you tell and tell what you do. I think that's that's super important. So that communication is everything. Also share all your know-how, um, just don't don't hold back. Um, that's that's that that's where that's super important. That communication and transparency. And another thing that I feel very strongly about is is under promise uh, over deliver, not the other way around. Uh, there's so many agencies who do the, do it the other way around, and um, over promising is super easy. I can just say to a client, "Hey, I'm going to double your revenue." by next week is that fine and then you'll you're gonna under deliver obviously so i try to get those expectations lower realistic but low and then try to over deliver uh, so under promise over deliver and never the, the, the other way around because that's um that's how you keep clients uh, and if you if you uh, over promise and under deliver it's not going to last for very long interesting yeah i find that that advice actually even applies to optimizers like myself who are kind of doing the nine to five experience where they're in-house at an org. It's, I, I find if I overpromise on, on my targets for conversion rate, I end up in a bad place at the end of the quarter. So I'm going to take a bit of that advice and keep it in my back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I, now, I, that's a, that's a, it's the same thing. You're basically your in-house agency and you have to kind of get results for other people in the, in, in the company uh, as well. So it's, it's, it's similar. Great. Now I'm going to kind of take it back a few notches and ask a bit more of like general and, and personal questions about you as an mm -hmm. optimizer. Now, are there any times in your personal life that you find yourself optimizing? All the time. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. I, I think I have like a natural tendency to, to think about how I, how I can change things to make them easier or faster or better. Um, and so as soon as, as something frustrates me, I just think like, how can, how can I change this to make it more efficient or better or, but also like around me, um, uh, it's not just me and stuff that I do, but I look at stuff around me uh, in real life and I think like, oh, that's bad UX, <laughs> like traffic signs, for instance. <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I catch myself thinking about UX in, 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 in a real life situation. I'm like, oh, that's bad UX, uh, but it's actually traffic signs, for instance. So that's, uh, that's one thing. But there's a whole lot of small things that kind of start to irritate me sometimes. I'm like, how, how, is this, uh, how is this possible? Like, I live in Spain. So in Spain, we have a culture here of we go out for drinks on terraces. And, and, and so we sit outside. And then it's time to pay the bill. You call the waiter and say, like, hey, can I pay the bill? And he goes inside. He comes back with the bill, and like I'd say, the majority, probably eighty percent of the people, they pay by card. Uh, so they, the waiter brings the bill. You uh, kind of have to say like, "Oh, but I want to pay with card," and then he has to go back inside to go and get the card <laughs> machine, and goes back outside again, and then you can pay by card. Why didn't he bring that the first time around? Now he has to go back and forth twice. And he does that probably a hundred times a day, five times a week. So that's a couple of thousand times a month. And he never thinks of, oh, maybe there's a better way to do this. 
that's just beyond me and blows my mind. I'm like, how is that ever possible? And it's not just one waiter, it's everywhere. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff, like this can be optimized. And why don't they see it? Why don't they think like that? So that's, uh, yeah, that's what I love it. I love it. I find the 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 easiest thing to optimize is electricity and hydro bill, just all of your bills. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm constantly like, does that light need to be on? No, I don't want to pay that dollar at the end of the month. Right. That's yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Those are, are small changes, uh, but yeah, absolutely make it better. Yeah. For sure. All right. Now we're gonna slide right into the lightning round. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you three bite-sized questions. Feel free to keep it as short or as long as you want, but we'll just kind of dive right in. All right. The big controversial question, Bayesian or frequentist? Bayesian. Bayesian. What is What is your number one CRO pet peeve? Forms. Forms. And describe Yoris in five words or less. Um, empathy, uh, cycling nerd, uh, <laughs> vegan, uh, nice. and I'd say recovering perfectionist. I can relate to that last one a lot, except <laughs> I am not recovering. I'm still very much in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it never really ends. But for me, what made the difference was really thinking of, is it relevant perfectionism? Like in my work, like when we're working on the site, you have to be perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Or is it irrelevant perfectionism where I'm spending, I don't know, 15 minutes thinking, is this the best fun for this Word document? Um, th- that kind of stuff. So making that distinction, for me, that clicked. And, and so I'm still perfectionist in some ways, but uh, in others, I can let it go. Nice. That is actually a glimmer of hope for me to hear that, you know, there are still people that I aspire to, you know, follow in the footsteps of who are also perfectionists like myself. It's such a dirty word sometimes. I don't know. But it's a good thing as well. Skin. It's a good thing as yeah. well. because I, I think as an optimizer, you kind of have to be a perfectionist um, because it's the devil is in the detail. And um, yeah, you have to see those details and, and try to optimize them. Like, I, I don't think you could be a really good optimizer if you're not a perfectionist, but you have to know when to stop. So that's the hardest part as perfectionist. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners that you have going on right now? Um, any links that you want to impart with our listeners? Yeah, so I can't reveal much yet, but there's something pretty big coming for me at least. I'm working Ooh. on a on a on a D2C e-commerce brand myself uh, to kind of step in the shoes of my clients and understand their entrepreneurial journey uh, better. And and uh, yeah, the idea is, is also that it'll help us as an agency to really step in the shoes of of our clients and and. Uh, understand what it takes to run an e-commerce business from from the inside out. So it's not a major focus, but it's some it's a side project that that we're setting up and probably gonna launch in a couple of weeks from now. So that's that's a uh, yeah big news for me, but I can not reveal much yet. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to inviting you back to speak with us again once that's uh, live and into the world. Yeah, happy and... to do so. All right. So I think this wraps up our our little interview. So thank you, Yoris. This about wraps up our interview. It was so great having you on the show. Obviously, I'm a bit of a fan of your work and your your own philosophy has really helped shape mine as a 
relatively new optimizer. So thank you so much for coming in and really happy to have had you here. Thank you for having me.